0: You were right. Even constantly always telling me something and telling me something over and over. And I was like, no, I, and you even, I have friends who even, you know, there's some some weird people who would, I need to experience failure on my own. I don't need to listen to people. I need to experience it for myself. I never got that thinking, but we all fall into it sometimes. But that, the reason that's important is because that's kind of what we're going to be seeing in the text today. We're going to be seeing uh, two individuals on the road to Emmaus. And they're actually going to have an encounter with Jesus post-death, right? He's resurrected, he is alive, and so he's going to have a talk with them about something they've been told over and over and over and over again, but they just could not believe it. And so that's the theme, one of the themes we're going to see today. So hopefully you have your Bibles open in Luke chapter 24. Join me in verse 13. And the word says this. I'm going to read verses 13 through 17 right now. That, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about the, all the things that had happened, referring to the crucifixion and the death. Verse 15, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. So we have two people, like I said, they're walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, right? They just saw the Messiah, the, the, the person who they thought was the Messiah, just get killed. The person they were following for years just got killed. He's gone. So they're heartbroken, right? The one they saw do miracles, water to wine. Bread for thousands of people, all the bringing the death back to life. He's gone. He's dead. And so they are sh- shooken. That's a word. That, that's not a word. Shaken. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. See, they don't teach everything in Bible college. <laughs> <laughs> and so shaken. Oh, my goodness. Right? They're heartbroken. Their world is turned upside down. So, but the reason, one of the reasons their the world is turned upside down is because they had a really bad understanding of what the Messiah was supposed to be. They were expecting the Messiah to be a warrior, right? In, in that context, they had the, you had the people of Israel. The Roman government was over them, right? So they were having to pay. Kind of actually interesting with Paul's story about uh, with the United States and Britain. It's kind of similar. They were forced to pay taxes. They didn't want to pay. No, one, I mean, hey, tax day coming up, right? No one looks forward to that day. I had a funny, <laughs> oh, you'll, I had a funny story happen yesterday. My n- nephew just got a job. This just came to him, so I'm going off the cuff. Forgive me. Uh, my nephew just got a job yesterday, our first job, and he's, you know, he's talking about he's 15, and he's t- talking about how he's going to be rich and make all this money. He's going to be a lifeguard. He's not going to make anything. And, uh, and so then he's saying, you know, I'm going to make so much money, I can't wait. You know, I'm going to make, and he gave an example, I'm going to make $185, and then after taxes, I'm going to make $200. And then we paused, and I'm like, whoa, wait, 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 dude, that's not how taxes work. You don't get money from the government. They're taking it from you. <laughs> and so, and he was like, what? He had no He thought you were getting money from the government. And We're like, no, dude. They're taking it. That's why everyone hates taxes. They're taking your money away. And so, again, this is why the nation of Israel didn't like the Roman government. Their things are getting taken away forcefully. Right? So, they were hoping the Messiah would come and free them from this, uh, uh, this pressure, this force, this coercion. Right? They wanted to be free. They were kind of expecting, like a King David, someone is going to come in and just start wiping people out. But as we know, that was not the Messiah. That was not what they were expecting. Jesus was not that. And so this is one of the reasons why their world was turned upside down. And so now join me in verse 18. But their eyes... Oh, I'm sorry, verse 18. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. Verse 20, And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, And besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they said they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Verse 24, some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. So I'm gonna pause right there. So hopefully you caught this. Like I said, these people are heartbroken. So much that it even says that they looked sad. And what's really interesting is that Jesus knows their heartbreak. He knows exactly what they're feeling and what they're experiencing, but yet he asked them the question: what are you talking about? Like, what why are you why are you upset? So and I want to read a passage, Psalm 139, and it says this O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, it is high, I cannot attain it. So, basically, God knows what you're thinking before you even say it, right? And and so, in this passage, Jesus knows what they're feeling, he knows what they're experiencing, but he doesn't, it's interesting, he doesn't condemn them in any sort of way. He allows them to freely express their spiritual honesty. They have frustrations, they have questions, they have doubts, and he freely just says, What are your doubts? And the point is this is Jesus is not intimidated by your concerns or questions. Rather, he welcomes spiritual honesty. I think I I may have mentioned this before. If you are, if you have questions or doubts or frustrations, you'd make a really good disciple. Doubting Thomas. No one's ever, when we talk about the apostle Peter, no one ever says righteous Peter, holy Peter. If anything, we kind of make fun of him because he doesn't listen. He always, he just always messes up. He doesn't be like, he's just, he's just a, not very bright, no offense, Peter, but just, he just always messes up. No one ever says, like I said, holy or righteous Peter, I mean, doubting Thomas, right, that's a t- term that everyone uses, even Christians are not Christians, right? So if you have doubts or frustrations, you'd make a really good disciple, and that's what Jesus is getting at here. They are, again, he welcomes spiritual honesty. He welcomes questions. He welcomes you to feel certain things, to question certain things, to struggle with certain things. But again, what's interesting is these people should know that he's not dead. They should know he resurrected, right? Because this is what scripture has always been saying for hundreds of years. But yet he knows that they should know better. But yet again, like I said, he allows them to kind of wrestle with the pain. He allows them to kind of work through it without condemning them, judging them. Again, he welcomes spiritual honesty one of the best things that I learned while when I was leading youth groups is there was a bad stigma within youth groups, uh, and it was kids, uh, children being told, don't do this, don't do that. And they leave it at that. And when I started getting in youth ministry, I really kind of saw the issues with that, where in kid, you know, kids would be talking to me and they'd say, I'm struggling with this, I'm struggling with that, but the last guy told me just do this because the Bible says. And there's no why, there's no discussion, there's no questions, and I will say one of the best conversations that I ever had in all of youth ministry is when we actually had a talk about uh, sexuality and homosexuality. And we were talking about it, and I said, hey, I know none of you agree with this. That's okay. Why? And we created a space where they could ask questions and have a conversation. They had had questions, they had, and and so what I'm getting at, and the reason I bring that up is because, like I said, frustration questions, that's not a bad thing. Again, Jesus welcomes spiritual honesty, and if we truly believe Jesus is Lord, then we should walk in confidence, knowing that he will provide for, satisfy, sustain whoever has questions, and one of the most detrimental things that we see, especially in the church I think today, is that uh, we don't allow people to ask questions. And again, Jesus, again, he, this is what he does with these people. He allows them to ask questions. He invites spiritual honesty. Because guess what? Like I just read in Psalm 139, he already knows what you're wrestling with. He already knows what I'm wrestling with. So why not just approach it in prayer, in an honesty? Again, he allows them to voice their concerns, and he doesn't abandon them. Now, join me in verse 25. The passage continues. Verse 25, and the word says this. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now you may think, oh, well, Jesus just judged them. That is not judgment. Like I just said earlier, with me going up to children coming up to me when I was coaching or my mother, me approaching my mother when I was wrong, what happens is I would simply correct the kid who didn't listen to me. And my mother, she would, I would go to her and she'd be, this is what you should do. This is why you should believe me. There's a difference between correcting and disciplining and condemning and judging. And this is what we see here. He just corrects them. This is, like I said, a form of, as a parent would discipline their child. And everyone who is a parent or a coach or a teacher of some sort, you know exactly what that looks like. And that's all that's happening here. He's not judging them. Again, he's correcting them. And grace with grace. Because we also know it's in grace because, guess what? After this, he has a meal with them. So it wasn't out of judgment. And then he goes to them and he says, hey, all right. Let's go to the Bible. Let's go to Scripture. You should know these things. You should know that the Messiah was supposed to die. Let's go. And so, and so where, where would we ask, where does Jesus go in the text, in Scripture, in the Old Testament specifically, to say, hey, this has been the plan from the very beginning? Genesis 3.15. It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So in in theology terms, we say we call this the proto-evangelium. It's a big word for saying this is the first proclamation of the gospel in the Bible. Well, right when sin enters into creation, God immediately looks at the serpent and says, I will enter into creation, you're going to affect me, you're going to bruise me, but I will crush your head. How does he get bruised? Through crucifixion and death. How does he bruise his head? Through resurrecting from the dead. So from the very beginning, this has been the plan. And then as Paul read, and this is why I had Paul read the situation between Abraham and Isaac, that is simply a reflection of what is to come in the gospel, right? If you look at the text, too, uh, Abraham says, hey, son, we have to go, we have to make a sacrifice. And then Isaac looks at, "Well, where's the, where's the animal we're sacrificing? And so Isaac's in a weird, awkward position. Abraham says, don't worry, God will provide the lamb. So they get there. Isaac has no idea what's going on. Abraham's about to do his thing, and he gets stopped. And if you look at the text, it says that Abraham actually didn't sacrifice a lamb. He ended up finding a ram in a bush and made that as the sacrifice. Why? Because hundreds of years later, the lamb would come in Jesus. So again, that whole situation is just simply pointing to the coming death and the resurrection of Jesus. How about the Passover? We were just, Passover is about the same time as Good Friday and Easter. Again, it's the whole season, right? What, what is Passover? It's the, which remember it's in Egypt, right? The angel of death comes in, right? God says, let my people go. Pharaoh refuses to listen. So he says, okay, okay. And so it's, it's a tough, it's a difficult passage, right? Because there is death, right? It, it, it is messy. But my thing is, if, if the Bible wasn't messy, I don't know if it's believable because life is messy. And people are really messy. And so we see the angel of death comes in, right? How, how, do, how are people saved in that situation? They say, get, get some blood from a lamb, cover your doorpost, and death will pass over you. Well, Who is the lamb of God? Jesus. Right? So they're getting blood, they're covering, so a la- the blood of a lamb is covering a people, and death is passing over them. Well, whose blood was shed? Jesus who is referred to as the Lamb of God? Jesus. So if you're covered by the blood, you are passed over. You are saved. And so that's the Passover is simply, again, another thing in the Old Testament that simply points to the coming of Jesus. So what is the point? Is The Bible speaks to our condition. The Bible speaks to us when we are hurting and in despair. But the question is, do we know it well enough? And that's what we see in the situation. Jesus meets the people where they're at and he just simply uses scripture to speak to where they're at. And again, and he allows them to wrestle, to have questions. So we're almost done with this passage. Join me in verse 28. Verse 28 and the word says this. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him, Strongly saying, Stay with us, for it is, is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Verse 32, They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? While well, they opened to us the scriptures, and they rose that same hour, returned to Jerusalem, seven miles away, in the middle of the night. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. Then they, to- then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. So you may ask, what is the point of this passage? How, why, why couldn't they recognize Jesus? Why didn't they recognize him while they were walking together? Why is it that they finally kind of saw who he was when the breaking of the bread happened? And I alluded to it earlier. It's because they didn't truly understand who the Messiah was and what his job was. And the point is this. When Jesus' disciples imposed their agenda and their view of, the reality, of their reality on Jesus... He remains invisible and unknown to them. Only when we submit ourselves to Jesus' upside-down kingdom, epitomized by the cross and his self-giving love, only then can we truly experience the real Jesus. This is why they couldn't see him, because they were imposing what they thought was the right Messiah onto him. They didn't, again, they were wanting that warrior to come in and save them and rescue them. They didn't want a Messiah who was full of grace, love, and mercy, and justice and peace. They didn't understand the real Jesus. The Easter season is a season where we celebrate and remember the justice, love, humility, and mercy of God. And this is found in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Because it is in him where we see love, mercy, humility, and justice meet. This is why his kingdom is upside down. Because the kingdoms of the world want nothing but power and control. We know this every four years, right? And all we have to do is look at the news and we see what's going on in the world. The kingdoms of this world want simply nothing but power and control. While Jesus' kingdom, the only one that's eternal, requires love, mercy, humility, righteousness, and justice. So the question we ask ourselves is, what kingdom are we pursuing? Are we uh, taking our reality of the world and imputing that on Jesus, changing him and making him into who we want him to be, right? Or do we accept him for who he says he is? Do we want his kingdom of grace, love, justice, and mercy? Or do we want one where we can control everything and we're the most powerful people in the world? Or do we simply just want to serve him and others well. So then another question is, how is your soul? How are you? How are you spiritually and eternally doing? Are you cold? Do you have questions? Because again, one of the main points of this text is that wherever you're at, wherever I'm at, Jesus can meet you right there. He's not intimidated by anything. He's not intimidated by spiritual honesty. He welcomes it. And that's, what, again, what we see in the text. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus, Father, we thank you for this morning. Father, we thank you for your text. We thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for allowing us to have access to it so that we can grow in understanding and knowledge of who you are. Father, there may be a lot of people in this room and those who may be watching online, and including myself, who have a lot of questions or frustrations or doubts about who you are, but you are God, and you know what we're wrestling with. So we ask that you would meet us where we're at. We ask that you would speak to any questions or frustrations we have right now. We ask that you would help us to walk in confidence, knowing that whatever questions we have, that you will provide for and satisfy. We also ask that you would remind us of who you truly are. Help us not to impose our cultural understanding or our own ideologies upon you. Help us to accept you for who you are. And that is God with skin on, who has called us to love you well and love our neighbor well. We ask that you would do through your spirit in us what only you can do. In Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.